Hello, friends, and welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell stories from designers, builders, and artisans. History informs the future, and so do our guests. I'm your host, Pete Miller. Windows are a defining feature of traditional buildings and old houses. The way we treat them in a restoration or renovation determines how authentic the building remains before and after the intervention. Today, we're chatting with three guests, Mike Shields and Sally Fishburn, both who are window restorationists. We're also talking with John Sander, who approves windows as part of the National Park Service's Federal Historic Tax Credit Program. First, my old friend, Mike Shields, founder, owner, and president of BlackBerry Systems, a window restoration company based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mike's company has restored and replaced thousands of windows in traditional buildings around the Midwest, especially in Detroit, Michigan, which has been undergoing a revitalization of its downtown. Mike consults with building owners, developers, architects, and general contractors to advise them on the appropriate treatment of their historic buildings and the old windows which adorn them. Much of Mike's work, not all, requires BlackBerry Systems to adhere to federal and state historic tax guidelines, which means that Mike and his crew really need to know what they're doing. Welcome, Mike, to Building Tradition. Everything you've done throughout your career culminates with what you're doing now. You started as a preservation carpenter, working on old houses in historic neighborhoods of Kalamazoo. Then what? You know, I, I started carpentry work on these old homes just by chance. I had been doing painting in the summer, and uh, a gentleman came up and he said, I could use your help. And I said, well, I'm going to college and I don't, I can't work full time. And long story short, this gentleman went on to restore probably over a dozen really beautiful homes in Kalamazoo back in the early 70s. And while I was going to college uh, locally, I worked with him and learned a lot of other skills from people working on it. But what started as a painting career, uh, part-time, you know, turned into window restoration. Um, and that's where I first started to restore windows. And uh, the funny thing about it is, I, you know, he had us doing this work and we lacked a lot of... Um, lot of experience and knowledge. So we learned um, from our mistakes, uh, as I still do today. Um, but from that, I, I decided I was an environmental student. All right. So you're the window expert. You're going to know the answer to this very simple question. What's the difference between a mullion and a mutt? <laughs> well, a mutton. It's not is, a lamb. It's not a lamb. Is a receiver for glass, okay? A mullion connects two window units. Got it. All right. So with all the new energy-saving glass products, uh, new low-maintenance wood composite species, not to mention strict energy, hurricane, solar, blast-proof glass requirements, why would anyone want to restore a 150-year-old window? The work that we tend to do the most, which is with developers in small and large cities and villages, is the attraction to doing that work with the federal tax credits and state tax credits, depending on the state. So it has a real financial 
advantage to trying to approach those jobs, unlike almost any other type of construction project. So that's one aspect. And at the other side of it is people that just see, um, they see a thread of history when at their home, in their downtown, on older buildings, and they don't want to, that to be lost. In other words, those are people with a passion. I always find them to be someone with a passion and a desire, almost as if they're looking at a sculpture or artwork. You know, it's it's something that moves them. And that's what happens. And they don't have the heart to send those windows to a landfill. And it yeah. makes sense, you know, um, when you have a solid structure, it's less costly to update and remodel that structure than it is to start from scratch. There's more and more people that have an interest in maintaining that look, the feel, the look of wood, um, more and more people. Do they ever do they ever ask you or do they ever say to you, and you just can't get this old growth wood or wavy glass anymore? Oh, Does that ever come Yeah, up? because that's part of their observation. They might not understand what even old growth means, but they're really looking at the aesthetics. And then as people get deeper into this, there is, they start to understand that if they approach window restoration uh, the right way, um, they can create and have a product, a finished product, with the addition of, say, storm products that are appropriate or new glass um, if we can go to an insulated glass unit, um, better weather stripping, a lot of a, a steel windows, as an example, both hung windows and casement or projected really had no, were never designed with any weather stripping. So, um, and there's improved weather stripping that's available today that we use that has a much longer life, say in a wood double hung window. So there are, options. It isn't, we don't just need to throw away windows. Um, and, and depending on the windows they pick, they're not going to have the longevity that the windows that they have currently potentially have. So when you first meet a, a building owner or developer or a facilities manager, what issues and concerns or preconceptions about windows do they present you with? And how are the priorities different or the same um, between, say, a building owner and an architect? Do they care about the same things? The architect's job is to make that building owner, that developer, understand what's going to need to be addressed in, in terms of preservation and what not to do, okay, what not to remove. Um, and and that that starts with the architect. When I'm involved, sometimes I haven't, I don't have a, a developer comes directly to us because they've heard word of mouth what we do and specialize in. And, uh, but I'd say probably over 50% of the time, it's a combination of being guided to the project. Even if it's a direct contact with a developer, then it's transferred our discussion with the architect. So by the time the developer calls you, he or she is pretty well convinced they want to restore the windows. They want they want to restore the building, 
and that includes windows because the windows in terms of the exterior facade are the most prominent element other than say masonry. Uh, and they're also the most worn element to the exterior of the product to the, to the building. So, you know, you mentioned weather stripping. I think people underestimate the, the effectiveness of good weather stripping. They think they're losing a lot of warm air out the glass, but really it's out around the edges of the windows, isn't it? Yes. Air infiltration is the biggest problem. And then if the air infiltration, which is the crack area where the sash meets the frame, um, is so more extreme, in other words, it's gapping more, then you have a water infiltration issue. One of the most interesting jobs that we'd ever done was the Detroit news. One of the main newspapers was called the Detroit news and that and the free press flourish like all newspapers did for decades. And that in night in about 1924, the, they built Albert Kahn designed a building for the Detroit news. And it was the first parking ramp in the United States. Um, it was, you know, there were a lot of autos, so to speak, relatively speaking, in Detroit compared to other locations because of it being the heart of the industry. But it was also a heated parking ramp. Um, and that heating of it created a lot of corrosion and moisture because it get trapped in the building. And we had the opportunity um, to restore all the steel windows. About 15% of them were beyond restoration. So we had to buy new steel windows that replicated it. But it was a great experience. It was challenging and the work turned out fantastic. And it's being used today as a parking ramp. Um, and what they did is by building code, you can't enclose a parking ramp like that. It was above ground without a lot of expensive ventilation requirements. So the steel windows were restored and weren't glazed. And then a bird screen was put on the inside. So we have a lot of different experiences when we approach it, but the developers, what they're really wanting, to be quite honest with you, their natural tendency, if they're a if they're a professional de developer, it's not someone that goes, I own this building or I'm going to buy a building and start being a developer. Those people are really very conscious of the bottom line. And so what happens is they assume that the best pathway is to remove the windows and put new ones in. Because what we found with universities, small colleges, almost any, any public entity, including municipalities, the federal government. Nobody has money built in to the life cycle for maintenance. It just doesn't happen except in rare, very rare cases. So people want a new replica window is always their first thought. And what we started to do that really caught fire for us about 15 years ago is you know, we had listened to the sediments of the, of the architect speaking, the developer, the construction manager, but we went in with more of a blind eye. We didn't have a predetermined um, idea what we were going to do because 
We also were walking a fence based on our relationships with state historic preservation offices, the regional uh, reviewer with NPS. And those people, if they observe you closely when you're working on these kind of projects. And if you're always, if it doesn't take long for them to understand it, what your biases are. So we were first a replacement window company commercially. And we did that successfully for 10 years. We started to do more. That work was primarily on university campuses. When we wanted to start to address some more exciting work in downtown areas and, you know, communities, um, that's when we saw the opportunity for restoration. And what we really knew was that if we offered both and approached them with an unbiased view when we first got there and really looked, are these windows restorable or aren't they? Um, we created a document that's evolved called the Historic Window Site Review that now we really don't, we don't solicit any work. All the work we do is someone coming to us and us responding and doing what we do. Well, so you must, ha- you must have, uh, so you're balancing between the owner's uh, preconception that you must replace with the uh, park service or SHPO who wants to uh, restore existing, you've got to be agnostic, objective. You must have a checklist for when you decide whether to replace or restore. We do. Let me add one more thing. So we decided we were kind of potentially in a rock and a hard place and decided we didn't want to get squeezed or crushed. So we offer this historic window site review at no charge. So there's all, we actually see it as a marketing tool, but we feel it's the best way to approach this by not charging for it. And, you know, it's easy for someone that if you're dependent on that income stream from that, that if someone says, Hey, if if it's not going to be this, I don't want you to do it. So, we we didn't fully understand that, but that helped build credibility for us with architects, developers, and historic consultants and, and people like at Shippo. They knew we were going to be straightforward and whether it turned out to be restoration or it turned out to be re- replication and replacement, that we felt we were on a, on a better ground, so to speak. What, so what do you do with the historic window site review? What what's what are the steps? Uh, the steps, because that's the first element of, of approaching this work. What we do is we go to a job site, we do a field inspection, and we go through a list, a checklist, where we have an initial assessment of wood and steel windows. And they're very similar, but we look at, condition of the actual material. Is it rusted? Is it decayed? Um, We look at the master frames. We look at the sashes, which are common components to both products. Uh, We look at the glazing compound, uh, the perimeter caulking. We, We look for, is water getting in the building via that window opening or the components that make up the window? 
Um, we inspect every component. Um, we look at sashes, master frames, sills, exterior sills, exterior brick mold, hardware, muttons and mullions. Um, and then we really look for uh, what abatement would be required. Um, and we're uh, early on in this process, we decided we wanted to get a lead licensed in lead and ACE asbestos abatement. Were other people doing that? No. In many cases, this wasn't even coming up in the analysis of the building. But as soon as we started to bring it up and we'd been trained, we spent a lot of money to do this with, with our, our managing people, um, our assessment people, our installers, we found it was one more thing that locked us into a job because in Detroit, it, this was a city that was pretty defunct, okay? <laughs> and it, 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 its building department was inadequate. It's uh, everything about the community had really collapsed and it went bankrupt, okay? So there was a lot of these normal things that would happen, say, if you were working in New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, wherever, Kalamazoo, um, that weren't happening. So as it started to come back, we were already addressing the hazmat issues that are a big OSHA concern. So that gave us another advantage. We still, I've still never bid, to my knowledge, against anybody doing window restoration on a commercial project that is a abatement contractor. So when you look at the time and cost of abatement, whether asbestos or lead, you look at water infiltration, decay, rust, what do you do? Do you add up the number of hours it's going to take to restore those and then compare it to the cost of- Yeah, we budget price it. We budget price restoration right. and we budget price replication. And we budget price it, I mean, pretty accurately. Uh, at that level, we've done so much of this, it's on a square foot basis. So we have the data, you know, to be re reliable, not 20% off, but maybe five to 10 plus or minus. Um, Do the tax credit guys ever say, oh, sorry, we know it's more expensive to restore, but you got to restore? Yes. But they, okay. But here's the other thing. We do a complete window survey. So, and photo evidence. So what we're doing is, okay, if you go to a project and we've been to projects, there's no windows. They haven't been windows in that building in 10 years. Why they were taken out, I can't tell you, but they were taken out. Well, that's an easy one. Okay. They got to be replicated. And then to what degree is, are the components missing or compromised? If they're completely rotted, like if every exterior sill is rotted and the joinery between your jam and your sill, that's the most sensitive joinery. And a corner joinery is the key. It's the, when you have a, a, a sash that one of the corners is completely gone, if you start disassembling it, it's cheaper to build a brand new replica of that than it is to piece it all together, okay? Right. And if you're just holding, you, there's, you use epoxies, but there's a limitation to what you're going to do with those epoxies. I don't feel anyone is taking seriously the durability of restoration. 
it's not fair to people making millions of dollar investments in a project. It's not fair to the really to be using tax credits that way. A lot of these projects, because of what the beginning material was and the difficulty and the workmanship, um, a lot of these projects fail within five years. Which projects? The restorations. Side note for context, John Sander reviews tax credit projects for the National Park Service, federal historic tax credits. So what determines whether you reglaze the windows rather than refurbish the whole thing? Um, well, the if we were only reglazing the windows, first of all, um, we if they're single pane monolithic glass, okay, one pane, um, and the window doesn't need to be restored per se, other than maybe uh, a, a prep and painting, um, you wouldn't change that glass generally. You would add a exterior interior storm, okay? Um, if you're going to reglaze something and go from a single pane, which is typically a quarter inch, sometimes an eighth, depending on when it was done, um, you have a glazing pocket on a wood, a steel, aluminum window. And it's it, that glazing product de, uh, predetermines what you can fit into it. So if you're going to try to do that with insulated glass, the ideal d- overall dimension for insulation, insulated glass for its efficiency is between seven eighths and one inch um, currently. That'll change with different products and innovations. But the onset of people coming to market like Pilkington, as an example, they were the first that I saw do it with that true vacuum glass, quarter inch, but it's two panes of glass separated and in a vacuum process that can go right in and replace quarter inch glass. So there's different things that you can do to circumvent just going to one inch IG or not doing anything. Right. You're talking about you're talking about Pilkington's um, Spatia. Yes, Spatia glass. Yeah. And now yeah. there's another couple manufacturers that are also providing it. So reglazing is a function of the condition of the glass and or the desire if the, the opportunity is there. In other words, you can either on a wood sash create a deeper pocket or come up with an IG unit, such as this quarter inch spatia glass, there's a way to upgrade the energy efficiency, uh, which is always a concern. The one thing I'd note though is on historic tax credit project, federal energy building code is not enforceable, okay? There is an exception for meeting any energy code if you're doing a restoration, um, because in many cases you would never get to the required U value uh, air infiltration that's required to meet present day uh, energy code. So there are compromises that have been made to accommodate historical. Do, do and do developers push back because? holy cow, no energy requirements, that's going to be high energy costs for this building. 
Well, they don't push back. They, they know that that's going to be an expense. They have engineers that do studies and they can predict the energy use matched to the fuel source um, and the equipment. You know, I know about your Detroit Foundation Hotel, which, as I recall, was a fire station, which was a, an adaptive use into a hotel and you did all the windows. What are some of the other sort of most historic and interesting buildings that BlackBerry Systems has worked on? Um, well, the Detroit Foundation Hotel, I'll, I'll make one note about it. That was the first fire station in the United States built to accommodate motorized fire equipment um, in 1924. Uh, and up to 500 uh, fire uh, persons could inhabit that building. Um, so that was a really exciting project because um, it involved every kind of restoration we do and replication. Um, another building that we're really proud of is a 42-story building called the Book Tower. There were two well-known brothers in the 20s and 30s that were developing uh, during the you know, explosion of, of auto technology and so to speak in the auto industry. And, um, they built two very large structures. Um, and it was called the book tower. And, um, this was bought by a group that's owns over 150 properties in Detroit called bedrock. And that, 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 that group is owned by a gentleman named Dan Gilbert um, that had the same approach and experience in Cleveland about 30 years ago, uh, that he was a native Detroiter and he came as soon as the city had gone bankrupt, um, unfortunately, um, and the pain that that caused, he started buying up properties with a vision of bringing back the inner core of that city. And that was one of the premier projects. It's been a project that's our, our work there was about two years, but it's taken another two and a half years. It's going to be opening at the end of this year. There'll be a combination. Is it apartments? Yeah, it'll be a combination of apartments. There's a hotel going in and then a variety of other things that haven't really been released um, of what they're going to do there. Um, but how did it get its name book building after the brothers, they named it after Their themselves and adjacent and attached to is a 13 story building called the book, uh, book building. <laughs> they were real original right. with their names. And then down the road, there was another building that was the first structure that, of any size that was called, uh, the book Cadillac. It was called the Cadillac hotel. And um, they had their name in the title, still called the Book Cadillac. What was the Louis Kahn building you mentioned? Uh, that was the Detroit News. The most interesting building we ever did was what they call Hangar Number One. Um, and it is at a location outside the city that is called Willow Run. And the work that we've done has brought a lot of joy and pride to the people that work here, including myself. 
And that was a building that's just 200 feet shy of being a mile long. It was approximately three stories high. There was a tiered part to it. And that building was built by Henry Ford, designed by Albert Kahn, commissioned to do it. And he had to have it from the time it was being drawn to the time it had to be ready and rolling was one year. It was built when we went into World War II and it was built for um, a B-24 bomber on an assembly line. And it had, we found evidence that there were shutters. It accepted the shutters. They were gone, but they were blockout shutters. So they could block out all the light in case the building was ever threatened by bombing. Um, You know, speaking of history, I just read about how Franklin Delano Roosevelt redeployed the automotive industry to make planes and ships exactly. to rearm for World War II. And this was before we entered the war. And so this would have been a building that was an example of that. And it sounds like that's a metal window building yes. restoration. And we restored every single window, 86,000 square feet of steel windows. And um, it was a massive undertaking at that time. And uh, we had never approached anything like that. Um, We've approached other jobs that have posed great challenge, but we now have a lot more experience than we did then. And we pulled it it off. So that was exciting. You may not be a history buff, Mike, but with all the work you've done, Blackberry Systems, restoring historic buildings, windows, you've become more aware of the history of these buildings and you are preserving our architectural heritage and history. And perhaps that's back to the beginning, our primary motive for restoring and replicating is to preserve that architectural legacy. Mike, it's been a a pleasure talking to you and hearing more about your work. I'm sure our audience has learned a few new things about how to assess historic windows. You know, I love you like a brother. Oh, yes. (laughs) Me too, buddy. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.